Good morning. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. You're wondering why we're turning there when we're looking at the life of Paul. Well, you'll see in a minute. This is the last message we'll have on Paul. And I call it Paul living the balanced Christian life. Living the balanced Christian life. Let's read in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Religious extremism. Hot topic nowadays, isn't it? Fanaticism. Religious extremism can be harmful or even destructive. Yet, Jesus condemned a certain kind of of middle-of-the-road Lukewarmness here. Uh, In fact, he said, I wish you were either hot or cold. But you're lukewarm. And so you strong where he said, I'm going to vomit you out of my, my mouth. So where is the happy medium? I've heard people talk about the balanced Christian life before. And uh, when they say that, it turns out when you hear them talk, they're really talking about uh, a combination of holiness and worldliness. Or self-denial and self-gratification. You know, kind of combination of, of both there. Well, here they tried it in Laodicea and it didn't work. <clears throat> The uh, love of the world and the love of self and the love of pleasure drowned out their love for Christ. So, uh, what's the answer? Well, first of all, we're going to look at this this morning, the balanced Christian life. Let me just say, if it's holiness and worldliness and trying to find a balance there, that's easy to address. As far as holiness, uh, we're commanded to be holy, right? God says, be holy for I am holy. What about worldliness? Well, he says, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's the balance. Uh, Be pursuers of holiness and don't love the world. Self-denial versus self-gratification, that's easy too. Jesus told us the answer to that one. He said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. How often? Daily. Daily. Yeah. And uh, on weekends, you gratify yourself, right? 
No. By the way, the taking up the cross is not taking up some burden like the world thinks, you know? Going to lay down my cross. It's a burden. It's my wife. It's my husband, you know? No. The cross there when Jesus is talking is a place of self-crucifixion. Death to self. Okay, so we're going to look at the life of Paul. We only got one week left, and I uh, boiled down uh, as much as I could of the, the characters of Paul into three areas where he struck a godly balance. And that's what we're going to look at. The first one is ambition versus contentment. Ambition versus contentment. Now, in each of these three pairs, at first, there's going to seem to be a contradiction between them. And yet we'll see, as it worked out in the life of Paul, that there is no contradiction. Uh, so you, you got the ideas, you know, contentment, right? I'm happy where I am. Praise the Lord. Ambition means I want more, right? So how do you handle both at the same time? And of course, in the area of, of contentment versus ambition, the extremes to avoid are lethargy, laziness, and spiritual apathy on the one hand. But on the other hand, you want to avoid self-promotion and glory-seeking in ambition. So, let's look at the first one, contentment. And I define that as a joyful acceptance and satisfaction in God's will for my life. That's contentment, biblically speaking. Joyful acceptance and satisfaction in God's will for my life. Here's the way Paul put it. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. So there you go. He says all you need is three things. Food, clothing, and godliness. I love this one. <clears throat> this is Philippians 4. This is Paul speaking. <clears throat> they were bringing him a gift when he's in prison, by the way. And he talks about his uh, thankfulness for the gift. But he says this. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You got that? Isn't it interesting, by the way, uh, young Christians learn that last verse is a memory verse, don't they? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they, and they picture I can go out and move mountains. In the context, that's not what Paul is saying, is it? He says, I can do all things. That is, I can be hungry or I can be full. I can be in need or I can have all my needs met. No matter what my situation, that's not important. The situation doesn't dictate my happiness because that's anchored in Christ. I can do all things. I can handle any situation through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's saying. And uh, I think I've said this before. It's a wonderful little um, special word here in this passage. When he says, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, uh, the word there, learned, it's the only place in the New Testament where that word occurs. 
And it's taken from the mystery religions. We still have them today. You know, where you, you, you have to be initiated through some secret rites in order to learn certain things, right? You're familiar with these kind of, kind of groups. You have to go through uh, various ceremonies. And depending on how much uh, has been revealed to you, you can only know that much and, and no more. You know, you have to be around for a while before you make it to the next level. And so uh, they had these things in uh, Paul's day, mystery religions, where when you first come in as a novice, you learn a few basic things and you're kind of like, now you're on the inside, you know, you know the secrets. So much of them anyway, you've been initiated. That's the word he uses here. The word that these guys would use to say, I've been initiated. I know the secrets now. Paul says, I know the secret. I've been initiated into the inner sanctum of being content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Isn't that cool? He takes this pagan word and he applies it to being content all the time. I know the secret to it. I've been initiated. First uh, Corinthians seven, the chapter on marriage and although the word isn't used there, dating and so on relationships with the opposite sex. Here's what Paul says. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was any called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. He's talking about contentment here the moment you get saved. I've seen some people that get saved and all of a sudden they feel like they need to go out and change everything. No, stay right where you are. God will lead you. Be patient, you know. Uh, Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord freedman. Likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. And here he says it the third time. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Be content. So, was Paul content, what do you think, in the calling that God had had, uh, given him? Think about it. Uh, We saw him that first week going around hauling Christians off and sticking them in prison, right? He hated Christ. He hated Christians. He hated the church with a passion. Can you imagine? What did Jesus have in store for this guy? (laughs) He's... He's going to be an apostle for Jesus, but not just that. To whom? The Gentiles. Whoa. You understand? I mean, that's the unclean of the unclean. Here's the way Jesus said it uh, when he temporarily blinded Paul, remember, when he was saved. And he told Paul, go down uh, there and you'll find out what you need to do next. And of course, Jesus had this believer, Ananias, set aside to come and touch Paul's eyes, right? Well, when Ananias heard that he was the one that was going to have to go see Saul of Tarsus, he wasn't too excited about it. And he said, Lord, wait a minute. Do you know who this guy is? And I love Jesus' answer. He says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right up front. Jesus says, this is the way it's going to be for this guy. He's going to be my representative. He's going to go to the Gentiles of all people. 
and he's going to suffer while he does it. <laughs> so that's Paul's calling. Okay? You think Paul's content in that? I'll tell you, beforehand he wouldn't have been, but as soon as God saved him, <clears throat> he became a changed man. Listen to what Paul says. To me, who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Isn't that contentment? Isn't that great? Man, God reached out and changed that guy's heart. Be content. You know, and when you're in the middle of the will of God, I'll tell you, you're, there's no safer place to be. And Paul knew that. And but there's all three elements, by the way, in that little statement there. He talks about the Gentiles. He talks about uh, representing Christ. And he's suffering at the time because this is written from prison. He's in prison at the time because he was been, been preaching Christ. So Paul not only accepted God's will, he rejoiced in it, even the suffering. <clears throat> okay, well, so we need to be content, right? At the same time, we need to have ambition. Paul was ambitious. Listen to this. Listen to how many things uh, Paul is ambitious about. And by the way, let me say, an ambition is a strong desire and effort to achieve a certain goal. We know what ambition is, right? You know what it is to be ambitious about something? You wanted some, You ever wanted something? As my dad used to say, I want it so bad I can taste it. You know, that's ambition. Man, I'll do anything to get that. Well, ambition is good when it's an ambition for higher service for Jesus or a deeper knowledge of him or greater glory for his name. Listen to Paul. Listen to how many things here he is ambitious for. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. There's the first one. You say, well, wait a minute, he's already got Christ. No, he says that I may. What he's saying is I saw those things as hindrances in my relationship with Christ. I'm glad they're out of the way. You know, I can really have a deep relationship with the Lord now because they're not there to hinder me. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. That's what he wants. And the power of his resurrection. That's another one. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Wow. Paul's ambitious. This is what he wants. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What does that mean? Sounds like double talk. What he's saying is, I want my practice to match my position in Christ. <laughs> Nothing short of that. Wow. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which, which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that ambition? Wow. Uh, again, the words here are so strong. When he says, uh, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, it's an expression 
from uh, athletics. When the runner is at the finish line, you know, and they kind of do that extra little stretch, you know, to hit the tape first, that's the word. I press forward. That's what he's talking about. Strong language here about Paul's ambition. We know it because when we're motivated, when, we, when we're ambitious, we are willing to remove any obstacle to achieve a goal. Right? And so Paul is saying, those things that I had in my life that got in the way, that were obstacles to a deeper walk with Christ, they're gone, and I'm glad. You know, I want them out of here. That's ambition. It's good. Uh, Paul had another ambition. First was his ambition for his own relationship with Christ. And the other was he was ambitious for the growth of every believer to achieve spiritual maturity. He was ambitious for other believers. Listen to what he says in Colossians. Him we preach. Him is Christ. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So there again, that's a pretty, pretty high goal. What do you think? Present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now you say, wait a minute, I thought that was God's job. Yeah, but Paul is saying, if there's anything I can do to help another believer along towards spiritual maturity, if there's anything I can do, I'm going to do it. In fact, uh, again, uh, there's sweat here. Listen to the words, I labor, striving, according to his working, which works in me mightily. That's ambition. Okay, so there's the balance between contentment and ambition. The next uh, balance is between um, being liberated and being constrained. Being liberated and being constrained. Liberated, having liberty, being free. In particular, no longer under law, but under grace. Are you glad you're not under law? Man, isn't that great? Praise God. He says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Stand fast, therefore, he says, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. We can't imagine what uh, this kind of freedom meant to Paul. He was a Pharisee, remember. And uh, man, they had such burdens to maintain minuscule laws about the most uh, petty things. Uh, Jesus rebuked them when he said, you, you tithe mint and cumin. You know what mint and cumin are? They're the little herb plants, okay? And a Pharisee would, might have them, you know, we have them in like out on the window, right, where they get good sun. So, you know, a mint leaf is like that, right? And a good Pharisee was required to go in and count the leaves every week on the mint plant, divide by 10, and pluck off that many leaves and give them to God. 
because he was supposed to tithe of all that he had, right? You, you getting the idea? <laughs> Jesus says, you guys tithe mint and cumin and you ignore the weightier matters of the law, like mercy and justice. But that's the kind of life we're talking about. A meticulous life of scrupulously keeping all of these man-made laws that have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It's all outward show, you see. I tell you, he must have been rejoicing to be delivered from a life like that. And so now you see Paul, uh, now that he's been set free by Christ, using his liberty to reach the unsaved. And you know the passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to what he says. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. But then he's careful to say, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. <clears throat> in other words, not just you know living it up. <clears throat> Why? That I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That's the freedom, the liberty that Paul now has. It's wonderful to read his sermon at Athens. Athens to a bunch of pagans. You know, he talks about their idols and stuff. Greek philosophers and so on. He would have done this before. And uh, in his sermon, he quotes one of their philosophers, you remember, you know, anything to reach the lost with the gospel. That's freedom. That's liberty. <clears throat> On the other hand, he's constrained. First of all, in the area of self-discipline. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That is self-controlled. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Discipline, self-discipline, constraint. We're free, and yet we're constrained. I think everybody here uh, can think of an athlete, at least one, who's been disqualified for one reason or another because of something they did. They didn't constrain themselves. Olympic medals have been taken away. Uh, people have been suspended from sports. They didn't exercise self-control. They, there was a, a, a greed either to win or to make money like gambling or just bad behavior. The word here disqualified, uh, when he says that, so that I won't be disqualified, of course, he's not talking about being kicked out of baseball. But uh, how many believers have been disqualified from sharing Christ because of their behavior. You know, of all the people in the world, Christians are the ones that live under a microscope. Do you know that? The world holds us up to a higher standard, sometimes than we do. 
and they're examining our lives, you know, waiting for that little chink in the armor, dying to see that contradiction so they can say, hypocrite, you know, why should I listen to you? So that's what he's talking about. It's tragic the number of Christian men and women that have been silenced because of sexual sin. Great uh, men of God, writers, uh, hymn writers, teachers, preachers, because they couldn't discipline themselves, control themselves for a few moments of pleasure. So Paul says, I, I keep my body in a subjection. I'm constrained for the sake of the gospel. Uh, he's also constrained as a response to the cross of Christ. He says the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all died. And that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So where is he constrained there? What area of life is constrained life itself isn't it everything he's restricted to living for the lord jesus and not himself and finally uh, we should be restricted in our areas of christian liberty or moral indifference we restrict ourselves voluntarily for the sake of other believers paul says but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak if anyone sees you of knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So as Paul taught and demonstrated, we've been set free by Christ, but we must exercise our freedom carefully there's a balance okay finally the the last pair are meekness and boldness we need to be meek as paul was but we need to be bold as paul was meekness it means having laid aside our rights and privileges does it sound like somebody like jesus you know he laid he laid aside his rights and privileges to come and save us. It means uh, not easily offended. Back during the Revolutionary War, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they had a flag, it had a coiled snake on it. You know what it said on the bottom of the flag? Yeah, don't tread on me, that's right. Sometimes Christians are like that. You know, the coiled snake, you better not step on me, dude, you're going to hear about it. You know? That's not meekness. And that's not the heart of Jesus either. We've already uh, glanced at this when we saw Paul in his relationship with other believers, remember. He, he was willing for them to walk all over him. He didn't like it, obviously. It hurt him deeply. But it, he didn't uh, pull up stakes and say, all right, if that's where you're going to be, forget it. I'm not going to help you. Listen to what he said. I will very, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Wow. Isn't that good? That's the heart of Christ. 
meekness. This is incredible. When he was in prison in Philippi, uh, when he wrote to the Philippians, excuse me, from prison, uh, some indeed preach Christ. He's talking about the believers while he's in prison. Uh, from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. He's saying they're preaching out of envy to make me feel bad. I can imagine somebody doing that. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. These guys are trying to hurt Paul. And he rejoices. You know, why? Because Christ is being preached. I don't care what they're trying to do to me. As long as the name of Jesus is being spread about, praise the Lord. You know, man, that's what an attitude. And again, it's the heart of Jesus. What does it say in First Peter? Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what Paul was doing. Okay, meek and bold. Well, we, but at the same time, we need to be bold, but for the right reason. Too often, you know, we're, we're, we're bold. We're outspoken in self-defense. You know, it doesn't take a lot to get a response in that case. But then we're timid for Christ. It needs to be the other way around. <laughs> bold for the gospel. And the truth of God. Was, was Paul bold for the gospel, do you think? Read the book of Acts. Man. Uh, whether it was the hostile mob in Jerusalem that wanted his blood, you know, he was, there he was uh, being protected by the Roman legion. And he says, wait a minute, I want to talk to these guys. <laughs> and he turns around and stands up. And preaches Christ to him. Uh, and God gave him such opportunities. You know, uh, this guy was witnessing to kings and governors, you know, and consuls and proconsuls. Later on, of course, he talks about when he was in Rome that there are now believers in the household of Caesar. He couldn't keep quiet. That's good. Paul knew when to speak and when not. So he was bold for the gospel. And he was bold for the truth of God, too. Uh, Turn to 2 Timothy 4, because there's a wonderful section there. These are Paul's last recorded words, because he was executed shortly after writing this letter. So in a a sense, we're reading Paul's last words here. 2 Timothy 4. And listen to what he says here. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Wow. He's looking back over his life, and he's realizing he's going to die. 
And isn't it, isn't it great? He can say, I've finished. You know, that's what, the, that's what the Lord Jesus said on the cross. And Paul could look back and say, I finished. I didn't leave anything undone. You know, he said, I fought the good fight. And finally, I've kept the faith. And what he's talking about there, by the way, in uh, that phrase, I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. He's talking about standing up for the truth of God throughout his life. When he says, I kept the faith, he's not saying, yeah, I believed in Jesus as my Savior until the very end. You know, he's not, he's not talking about his personal faith. Whenever you see the word faith with the word the in front of it, it's talking about the body of Christian doctrine, the faith. For example, Jude says that we need to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Earnestly contend. Paul did that. Uh, you say, but it's all written. Here it is right here. And that's true. It's, we have praise God. He, he guided Paul and others when they were writing letters. God kind of moved in and took over and said, well, I'm going to help you write this. You know, and so now we do have the truth of God here. But false teachers take this same book. You know that. And they take verses out of context and they teach crazy things or they'll add a little word, you know, like Jehovah's Witnesses with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. One little word, one tiny little letter. What harm can that do? And so it's not just a matter of having the book. It's having men and women who are willing to stand up and be bold and say, wait a minute. No, thus saith the Lord. This is what it says and this is what it means. And so I think sometimes we take it for granted, you know, that praise God. We're still to this day here with the word, with the truth held intact, starting with men like Paul and down through the centuries to this very day. Men who stood in the gap and women. And we could go on and on about Paul. Look at his letters and how he stood for the truth. The church is up in Galatia. That's Turkey today. You know, the Judaizers started going up there and say, wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. You got to do something about it. You got to have works too. It's works plus faith. Well, Paul couldn't hop on a 747 or a 767 or whatever it is today and fly over there. And so he wrote a letter. It's called the letter to the Galatians. Where praise God, we can turn there now and read. Because what's so cool is when Paul sat down to write the letter, like I said, the Lord sat down with him. You know, I often wonder when Paul is writing his letter, if he ever realized that God was inspiring him at that point, you know, and if so, when it dawned on him, maybe after the fact, I don't know. But it's what's wonderful about inspiration is that when God took Paul or any other person who wrote in the Bible, Isaiah, you know, or John, he doesn't remove their personality. When they write, it's still, you can see Paul in the writing, you know, But it's the truth of God. And so uh, the Thessalonians were troubled about the day of the Lord. Maybe it had already come. Paul sat down and wrote 
two letters, the first and the second letter to the Thessalonians. And now we have it in writing, you know, to say, look, thus saith the Lord, this is the truth of God. The Corinthians, incredibly, somebody there was teaching that the dead aren't raised. Once you're dead, that's it. I can't imagine where they would have gotten that from. Paul sat down and wrote a letter. And in chapter 15, he says, look, if the, if the dead aren't raised, your faith is in vain. It's that serious. And he keeps saying, but if, 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 and then finally says, but now Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And therefore you will be. And we can, and we can turn to it now today and, and defend it. Colossians. In Colossae, we see the early uh, versions of, you've heard of Gnosticism, you know? One of the crazy teachings of that is that God's up here and we're down here and he can't come into contact with bad stuff like sinners and dirt. And so there are all these levels of beings between God and down here, you know, where he touches the being closest to him and kind of like dominoes, you know, finally gets down and reaches us and somewhere in there is jesus you see these these are basically angels and somewhere in that level in those levels there's jesus crazy you want a good book on the deity a good letter on the deity of christ read colossians in him all the fullness of the godhead is pleased to dwell all things were created by him and for him and so on Okay, so Paul was meek when it came to his own uh, self-defense, that is, in, in uh, being hurt or offended by others. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't uh, defend his apostleship, because there you're touching the will of God. But when it came to his own retaliating because somebody abused him, uh-uh, that's, that's not in the program. But at the same time, he was bold when it came to the gospel and the truth of God. Okay, so there it is, the balanced Christian life with a right slant on it. Contented in God's will, but ambitious for a closer walk with Christ. Secondly, enjoying our freedom in Christ, praise God, while voluntarily restricting our behavior for the sake of other believers, as well as those outside of Christ, but most of all, out of love for the one that died for me. And finally, meek in self-defense. Instead of that coiled rattlesnake, it's a worm. Okay? And yet bold for Christ in his word. That's, that's the balanced Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the example of Paul in living a truly balanced life. And we realize that really the key to all of this is that there be more of Christ and less of me. Uh, We pray that the words of John the Baptist might be ours. He must increase and I must decrease. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.